Good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Bethany here at Green Lake, both within these walls and as well. Many are watching online, I believe. We're privileged to share what God is doing here in many parts of the world. And so thank you as well for joining us. We're concluding a series that in most seasons is called Gather, Grow, Go. This year, the same input, impetus, designed to kind of give you an orientation to what we're about at Bethany Community Church. Only this year, it's been a four-part series and articulated slightly differently as we learn to receive gifts from God above, be rooted in Christ from beneath, Christ above me, Christ beneath me. That's how we grow. Christ around me, look around the room, the body of Christ right here together. Christ around me, I'm connected. And now finally, Christ within me, I'm called. So this morning, we really want to spend some time talking together, looking at scripture to discern what God has to say to us regarding finding and living into your calling. I will suggest to you that no matter your age, this is a very important topic. And so whether you're young or older in between, uh, if you're breathing, you still have another breath yet ahead of you. And that next breath, you have an opportunity to live into your calling more fully. So let's pray together and then we'll look at the text. Father, thanks that we can gather here. Thank you that your desire is not for us to be born, live here, consume some stuff for a few decades and then die. But rather, we're invited into a grand story of hope that you're writing in the world. And I pray, Father, that we would find ourselves, by virtue of our response to your revelation, more fully in that story even today. And we'll thank you for that. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Many of you, if you follow your news feed, know that a uh, prevailing theme in the news today is as our world opens up again to some extent, uh, there's an employment shortage. People are uh, quitting their jobs, actually. And in fact, I'm now quoting from an article that cites statistically uh, around two-thirds of people are looking for new jobs. People are not satisfied with their jobs. Now, whether you believe the actual statistic or not, we all know anecdotally that this is true just from talking to people. And now I quote from the article, research has shown that people tend to quit their jobs after experiencing what's called, quote-unquote, turnover shock. This is a life event that precipitates self-reflection about one's job satisfaction, right? Something happens, bang. It's a car crash. It's cancer. It's divorce. It's uh, some challenge in life. And then you're like this, wow, am I doing the right thing with my life? Or it's a positive turnover shock. You get into grad school. Or I have a new baby. Uh, could be anything. And these kind of wake us up and we go, what am I doing with my life, right? Now I continue to quote, the universal nature of the pandemic is a major reason that so many are quitting all at once because there is this collective right now turnover shock. In other words, like there's one global disruptive event. It's called COVID. And then, you know, you're sitting at home for a year and maybe you're working at home or you're not working at home, but... In any case, you're at home and you either hate it or you love it or you're ambivalent. But then now as things open up again, you're like this. Do I really want to go back to that job? I'm not sure. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of you are considering quitting because your employers are watching this morning and uh, that could be uh, disastrous. But we'll just note 
that this is a reality, there's kind of this profound level of dissatisfaction on the part of many people with the way that life is unfolding for them. And people wouldn't say it this way, but really what people are looking for is what I call alignment. In other words, all of us in the room and everyone driving by and everyone today down at uh, T-Mobile Park watching the M's, everybody has the same thing. We want to live lives that are aligned. And what I mean by that is I want the way I use my time to reflect my values, right? I want the unique strengths that God has given me to reflect my work environment. I want uh, the way I invest my money to reflect my priorities. I want to live a life that's aligned. And it's very important that we be aligned because only in alignment do we find kind of joy and peace and meaning and the strength of Christ that enables us to live the life for which we're created. Uh, years ago, my wife and I acquired a redwood tree in a, like a little Dixie cup. This is in about, I'm going to say 1986, okay? And so it's been a couple of years in a soil in Anacortes at my in-law's house. And it grew big enough to then to be in a, a, a kind of a real planter, right? A little pot. And we had it in there for a while. And then we moved to uh, Marble Mount, Washington. So, you know, North Cascades Highway, way up there where it rains 136 inches a, uh, a year. And uh, so we had it in that. We had it in a bigger pot and we planted it in the ground. And then Bethany Community Church asked me to come be their senior pastor in December 1995. And when we sold our house in the mountains, the only clause in the whole thing was we want to bring our redwood tree with us. And so we got the redwood tree and we planted it in the backyard of the house where we lived uh, at 66th and Fremont here in Seattle uh, decades ago. So we planted this tree. It's about eight feet tall. And it just, I mean, it just took off. It just went crazy. It was going like three feet a year. One day, I don't remember the year, but sometime in this century, uh, I came home, and this tree now, well over three feet tall, you know, it had grown in two pieces like this. One piece had cracked and fallen, and it would have crashed through my neighbor's roof were it not for a bush that prevented it from falling completely. It's laying on my neighbor's roof, but didn't damage anything, right? This was horrifying to me. Right, so I, you know, I call a, like a an arborist. He comes and he assesses things, you know. And then this is what he says: He says, "Here's the problem: uh, the Pacific Northwest is not made for redwood trees. You got a misalignment here. These are, now I'm using my language. You got a misalignment of calling, right? Like this redwood tree belongs in California, where." It absorbs most of its moisture, not through rain, but fog. Because it rains too much, it grows too fast. And when it grows too fast, it doesn't have adequate root structure or infrastructure to sustain itself. Boom. So that's the story. Now, why do I share the story? Well, here's the thing. It's not enough to be a redwood tree. If you're going to thrive, you have to be a redwood tree in the right place. And for you, it's not enough to be a Christ follower, to have gifts given you by God, to be human, to be alive, to be blessed. Are you made for a calling? And if you're not fulfilling your calling, I don't want to get dramatic, but that's your problem, right? 
So, so we want to find, all of us, we want to find our calling. And, and so for us to do that, we need to uh, kind of go through this pattern that we've been going through for these weeks, develop this habit of hearing from God, so we find ourselves aligned with where God wants us to be and doing what God wants us to do. And, and this practice of hearing from God is called contemplation, meditation. And we've been doing it for a number of weeks now. We've been practicing this meditation. We'll do it again at the end of the service. Christ above me, I receive God's gifts. Christ beneath me, I'm rooted. Christ around me, I'm connected. And now Christ within me, because Christ lives within me, I'm called. So I'm encouraging you to a practice of contemplation. Now, I, I will say to you that over the course of time here, as we've been doing this contemplation, some people have said to me, you know, I don't do contemplation. I'm a practical guy. I'm just a practical guy. And I go, now, wait a minute. Uh, contemplation is not impractical, actually. In fact, the assumption when contemplation is mischaracterized is that people who contemplate are just kind of escaping from reality and not doing anything meaningful. But I'm going to say to you here this morning that if contemplation ultimately takes you away from people rather than driving you into service and hospitality, as we heard uh, Jonathan share this morning, if contemplation leads to withdrawal ultimately, it's not real, it's not Christ-centered contemplation. It's just narcissism disguised as spirituality. In other words, let's use Jesus' as an example. Jesus knew that he had a calling to display the character of God. He knew that, right? And so he goes in Mark 1 to a certain town, whatever the town is, and immediately, you know, he starts teaching, and it gathers a crowd, and then within the crowd, people have needs. You know, so he lays hands on people, heals some people, or casts out a few demons, goes to some house, somebody's sick in the house, heals that person. There's a dinner party. Everybody crowds in. More, hey, teach some more. You know, he teaches some more, he heals some more. Later in the night, and then ostensibly, he goes to bed because we read. Early in the morning, in this house, Jesus gets up and goes to the mountains to pray. Wilderness Ministry 101, right? So he gets out, just what we did last weekend, right? He's out, he's, you know, isolated, he's praying. So that's that. Well, in the meantime, while he's out, the disciples are spending the night too in this first century Airbnb. And uh, the whole town is at the door because overnight, without phones, Jesus went viral anyway. So everybody's hearing about Jesus. They're all at the door. Hey, heal me. Teach me. Cast out my demons, right? Jesus comes back. Peter's annoyed. Hey, Jesus. What are you mad? Everybody's looking for you. The whole town's outside. What does Jesus say? We're leaving. We're leaving? You don't leave. This is how you capture market share, man. We've gone viral. Come on. Don't you know anything about marketing, Jesus? And Jesus is like this. Well, whatever. I've heard from God, and so we're out. Because I've come to be itinerant, not rooted. He knew his calling. How did he know his calling? Contemplation. He just heard from God. So, so we need this rhythm of engagement and withdrawal. If you're all withdrawal, narcissism. If you're all engagement, burnout. But if you have this rhythm, then you find uh, your, your calling. And to find your calling, there's kind of three realities you have to embrace. 
the basis of your calling, the uniqueness of your calling, and the power of your calling. So we're going to look at these very briefly. Basis, uniqueness, and power of your calling. So first of all, okay, I want to be fully in God's story. I want to be using my gifts in the place where God has called me. I want that. Where do I start? Well, the basis of your calling is, is your identity. Like, who has God made you to be? And I'm speaking now generically. We all have a generic identity, unique identity. The generic identity is the basis of our calling. In other words, in this room, if you're in God's story, Christ lives in you, here's your calling. You're a steward of the gifts God has given you, and even of this planet, frankly. <laughs> but you're a steward and you're a reconciler. You're, that's your calling. Oh, by the way, you're also a light bearer. You're call, you're the, what did Jesus say, Matthew 7? You are the light of the world. He doesn't say become light. He says you are light, so let your light shine. Steward, reconciler, light. This becomes, if I can be a little blunt, the sniff test of the authenticity of the work that we're doing around here. If, if our work is dividing, not reconciling, that should be a huge alarm. Something's wrong. If our work is done in secret, you know, with all kinds of contracts and legalese and, you know, non-disclosure thingies, whatever, NDAs they're called, that stuff, that should be a warning. Like if it's in the light and if it's reconciling, that's good. If it's not, it's a warning. If you've ever bowled and you're so bad that they put the bumpers up so that the ball doesn't go in the gutter, those bumpers are this. God is reconciling. God is calling you to steward your gifts, not, not waste your life away just consuming, but actually contributing to the world. And God is calling you to do it all in the light so that, so that Christ's light is seen. So, so we have that calling, and unfortunately, if you look at church history, uh, we haven't always fulfilled this calling. So I just want to take a minute here and help you think with discernment, because we live in, the, we live in a binary culture so that when people are on the outside and even within evangelical Christianity, when people are assessing it these days, mostly what I hear is this, either the church is done burning to the ground, or there's nothing wrong with the church. Now, listen, discernment would say, oh, no. When we, when we look at the history of God's people, what do we see? We've always been called to, uh, to this, steward, this stewarding work, this reconciling work, shining as light, all the way back to Genesis 12, you know, blessed to be a blessing, receive much, give much, all that stuff. It's always been our calling. And often the church has fulfilled that calling. Many, thousands of times through history, right? I have a friend in uh, Nepal who is Tibetan. When she was a child, her parents, escaping Tibet, uh, hiked over the Himalayan mountains, got frostbite, and the only place that they could uh, receive medical care in Kathmandu was a Presbyterian hospital. And it was there in that Presbyterian hospital that my friend came to Christ, came to faith in Christ. And so think about all the hospitals around the world. Think about all the, the economic empowerment zones, such as the one that we have in Rwanda. Think about uh, the work of the Aurora Commons here. Think about the work of Agros all across Central America. Look at what God is doing all around the world, 
in Jesus' name. This is good stuff, worthy of celebration, and may that tribe increase. So when, you, when people say to me, yeah, God's finished with the church, I go, wake up, man. Quit, quit listening to this kind of narrow, uh, myopic, negative view. But I also say to people who romanticize the church, wake up. Don't be myopic and only see the good. Let's name it. Colonialism in Jesus' name. Slavery justified in Jesus' name. Vast mistreatment of Native Americans in, in Jesus' name. The, the, the bodies of children in boarding schools in Canada. Yeah, we've got problems. Why do we name them? Well, first of all, it's biblical. Because, you know, in Nehemiah and Samuel, we understand uh, from God that there's a pattern we're collectively God's people, so we collectively own our problems. And, and when there's collective confession of sin, then collectively we're able to move forward and deal with it. So, so we don't want to be overly romantic, and we don't want to be overly negative. We want to look with clarity and say, let's pour gas on the flames of the work of reconciliation that God is doing so that it continues to expand, and let's name and repent and deal with the dark stuff so that it doesn't gain a foothold ever again. But understand, these are your bumpers. If you're not involved in any reconciling work, if you're not contributing to the story of hope that God is writing in the world, if there's no practice of hospitality in your life, that should be a warning to you. I mean, God has made you, you're blessed to be a blessing. And everyone in the room, though, you know, I get it, five talents, two talents, one talent, I get all that. We're all different. But I will say to us here, overwhelmingly, incredibly blessed, this congregation. We raised a million dollars for the Aurora Commons. And I don't want to minimize the work that Nathan did, but I'll say it this way, without even trying. I don't mean that there was no work. There were hundreds of hours of work. I understand that. But I'm saying this is a wealthy congregation, wealthy in education, wealthy in material capacity, wealthy in health, wealthy in education, wealthy in the ability to bless the world and shine as lights. That's our calling. So look, uh, the bumpers of your life should be this. Am I involved in reconciling work? Am I stewarding the gifts that God has given me? Am I shining as light? Because if I'm just here as a consumer, no. You're missing your calling. Uh, then, if the base of my calling is this identity, steward, reconciler, light, the uniqueness of my calling simply means this. We have this generic calling of those three things, and now God has made each one of us with unique gifts, right? Unique expressions of the life of Christ. We heard read this morning Romans chapter 12. And Romans chapter 12 says, hey, some of you are uh, gifted to lead. So lead diligently. Some are gifted to teach. Some are, some are gifted uh, in uh, the capacity for giving and generosity. Some have gifts of mercy. Some have gifts of discernment. We go to 1 Corinthians 12, and there's a vast other list of gifts. And then, you know, we look at humanity, and there's other gifts still. There's, there's gifts of music, and there's, there's gifts of, of administration, and there's gifts of mercy, and there's gifts of service. And so God is saying, look, we're each 
unique expressions of the indwelling Christ. So every one of us has a, a gift or more than one that God has given you. And God is saying, use that gift. You're made to use your gift. And that's the, really the only place you're going to find your most fulfillment is in using your gift. But God is not just giving you a gift. God has also given you, like that's your calling. God has also given you a context for your calling. And the context, what does the context mean? It means that God cares whether you're here or there. And how do we know that? Well, if you go to Acts 22, Paul's preaching a sermon there in Acts 22, and he's recounting a time when he was in Jerusalem preaching to a, a Jewish congregation, and they hated his message, and it said they drove him out of the city, and they threw rocks at him, and they knocked him out, my language. And then he had a dream while he was unconscious, and in the dream, God said to Paul, leave Jerusalem, I'm setting you far away to preach to the Gentiles. And then in his dream, Paul argues with God. And Paul's like this, no, God, I don't want to leave Jerusalem. I'm Jewish. And it's like he's educating God. It just cracks me up. Hey, let me remind you, God, I'm Jewish. They're Jewish. This testimony will play really well here in Jerusalem. I know the law, super persuasive. You say to the Gentiles, they don't know anything about me. I got no market share. Yeah, go. I'm sending you. To Yakima, out of here now, right? Okay, so I don't want to go there unless it's God's what? Context, are you with me? God cares where you are and what you do. Now, this is really, really important. Find your calling and context and then jump in with all the strength and devotion God has given you because, hello, this is your life. You don't have another life. This is the one right now. You're here. You're in Seattle. So at least for today, this is the context God has for you. Jump into the life that God has given you. Use your gifts exactly where God has placed you. This is where you find joy, peace, strength, calling, wisdom. Nowhere else. It's not promised that your life will be easy. It's not promised that you'll ever achieve what the world calls success. But it is promised that your life will be abundant. It is promised that uh, from you will flow forth rivers of living water. So whatever, this is one of my favorite verses, Ecclesiastes 10.9. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Why? Because the day that you die, you got nothing to do. Don't do nothing today. Wait till you're dead to do that, right? Today, use your gifts. So, so we want to find our gifts and use them, and we want to use them in the, in the context where God has placed us. And I will confess to you that I've often wasted energy obsessing over the context. And maybe that's true of some of you as well. I don't know. But uh, when I was early on married uh, to my wife Donna, we didn't agree on everything, but one thing we were certain of is we would never live in Los Angeles. Neither. We both, there's nothing good there, was our, was our opinion. It was our opinion. Smog, 
Heat, the Dodgers, nothing good. So we're like this. No, we're okay. We don't agree about everything, but we know this. We're never moving to LA. And then I had this weird sense I got to go to seminary, and there were kind of three options on the table Illinois, Boston, Portland, LA. As we pray about it, because very apparent, Los Angeles. We're accepted at all these places. And of all the places, we made a list. Where do we want to go? Bottom of the list. And then we did that thing. You ever do that? Pluses and minuses? And then you, oh, it all adds up. It's even. So we could go anywhere. And then we, then we would add it again, and we would twist it a bit so that Boston would win, right? You know, Red Sox, Patriots, Lobster, love it. So, we, you know, we built our case, but in us, we knew. You're going to Los Angeles. Oh, man. That was hard. And then, and then in Los Angeles, we ended up moving back to uh, the Pacific Northwest, where, which we loved, and we ended up in Friday Harbor. And most people say to me, oh, what a lucky guy. I'm not a boat person. You know me well enough to know that, right? And I didn't want to be there either. So, you know, I, I preached up at a church in Alaska, and then they said, we voted. God wants you here. Come. And then we prayed about it. No, we can't leave. Can't go there. And then uh, I was just restless. So there was a church in Bellevue I applied, you know, 10, 5, 4. Uh, there's two candidates left. And they had us both for dinner. I show up pretty much dressed the way I am right now, right? And the other guy, whoever the, I don't know who it was. And then they, I get a call two days later. Richard, man, we love your teaching. We love your vision. We love your heart. We hire the other guy. And you're probably asking why. Here's why. We decided you're not Bellevue material. And it was like, I mean, literally, shoes, right? Um, Goodwill stuff. You're just, all, you're just all right. I'm so mad. I gotta get off the island. You know? And my poor wife who endures me, she, she's like this. When are you gonna grow up and just realize God's put you on this island? So why don't you find a little joy here? This is where we live, right? And it's, ironically, we started finding joy there. And we left, Right? And moved and started a thing in Marble Mount. And then we, and then we came here to, to uh, Seattle. And that was a long time ago. So the point here is don't obsess over the context. And many of us do. Like you're, some of you, I know you have gifts. And now you stumbled into you're at Amazon. Or you stumbled in and you're at Google. And you don't know what you're doing there. Listen, if, if God's giving you a context, thrive in that context. And as soon as God sends you to another context, go. It's fine. But we have to learn to be fully present and do our thing and quit comparing. Are you with me? Oh, why don't I have your gifts? Oh, how come I only have two talents and you have three? Oh, you know, why am I in the city and this person gets to live in Wyoming or vice versa, whatever? No, be fully present and grateful there. And then I hear people say, oh, yeah, yeah, Richard, all good, but how do you find your gifts and calling? Of course, the answer is this. You have to say yes to all kinds of different opportunities. 
So maybe you need to volunteer with the refugee resettlement ministry. Or maybe you need to volunteer with the community meal. Or maybe you need to uh, teach a class. Or maybe you need to work with the, with the youth ministry here. Whatever it is, we won't know the gifts we have until we say yes to things. I thought I was only gifted as a teacher, not a pastor. And actually, when I moved to Friday Harbor, it was intended to be en route to Alaska. It was just supposed to be for six months. And then I ended up staying there six years. And then I ended up moving to a place where I didn't think I'd be a pastor. And then a house church grew in our ministry. And then I moved to Seattle. And so I say, people say to me, when were you called to become a pastor? And I say, God didn't call me to become a pastor. God tricked me into becoming a pastor. He, I thought it was teaching, not pastoral ministry. But it's okay, because once you're there, you realize, oh, God made me. God knows me better than I know myself. And if I would have said no to a pastoral opportunity simply because I thought I knew, I'd have missed God's will. So say yes to opportunities for service, and then God will, will reveal to you, you know, what's next. And then finally, and it's significant, the power of our calling. So the, there's this kind of context of our calling, right? And this, this sense of uniqueness and basis, and then the uniqueness of our calling, and then finally the power of our calling. And the power of our calling, of course, is Christ. Paul says in Colossians 1.26 that there's a mystery. It was hidden from previous generations, now revealed. And the mystery is this, Christ in you, that's the hope of glory. If the world will ever see Jesus alive today, it won't be because they're reading just a book. Jesus shows up in our life together. We'll do a whole series on this, actually starting next week, as we talk about one another's in the Bible. But for now, just understand that uh, because Christ lives in you, and because you have unique gifts, you become a unique expression of Christ, right? And so my friend Ken here in row four, a unique expression of Christ. And my friend Eric over here, a unique expression of Christ. And my friend Ben over here, a unique expression of Christ. Each one is like, I liken it to a, like a pixel. And so if you've ever, um, if you've ever used kind of dial-up internet, for those of you old enough to remember that, and then a picture comes onto your screen, it first shows up in like four squares, and then eight squares, then 16. And with each little addition, it becomes clearer picture. You are the clarity of Christ. Are you with me? You are the clarity of Christ. Not me. Not preaching. That's one pixel. It's us. It's our life together. And so every one of us has a, have a role to play. And if your light is not shining, then the picture loses clarity. The power of your calling, Christ lives in you. And that creates your pixel. And because it's Christ's light, you're freed from both shame and pride. Why are you freed from shame? Because when you fail, you're like this. Oh, no surprise. That's what I do when I'm on my own. And when you succeed, you're like this. No surprise. That's what God does. The resurrection life of Christ, it's fruitful, reproductive. All I need to do is learn with greater consistency to be aligned with Christ who is my hope. That's the life for which we're created. So I want to close this series by doing what we've done for four weeks. Now we're going to meditate. And my friend Eric's going to come up here and play a little bit. Remember, as you seek to live into your calling, 
that Christ is above you, raining down gifts. Give thanks. That Christ is beneath you, rooting you and grounding you in love so that you know that God's love for you is infinite, irrevocable. Live out from that identity. Christ is around you. Look around the room and give thanks for unique expressions of Christ. And finally, and significantly, Christ is within you. You have a calling to let your light shine into the world. Let's worship together.